you will, please open your Bibles to Galatians. We're in the fifth chapter. We looked at three verses last week that were packed to overflowing, and we've got three verses again this morning, possibly even more packed than those last week. So what I want to try to do is just set these verses in their context by way of introduction, and then we need to dive right in. Uh, Paul's purpose in writing this letter, I'll remind you, was to keep Christians from throwing away their freedom. He does not want them to trade their freedom in for bondage. And so the majority of the letter has been about not wanting them to submit to bondage that comes from the law. That's been the majority of it. Of, of seeking a right relationship to God through obedience to the law. Paul says that is not freedom. That's not what the law is for. But last week we saw that there's another bondage that he doesn't want folks to become enslaved to, the bondage that comes when you abuse your freedom and you then become slaves to your flesh, to the desires of your human, fallen, sinful nature. So bondage can come, freedom can be lost, either by looking to the law to do something that it was never intended to do, namely to give you a right relationship with God, or you can lose that freedom, you can become enslaved again through a total disregard of the law by pretending that it's not even there. And so last week we saw that part of the way to avoid doing that was the unlikely, I think, antidote of love, specifically of loving others in the same way with which we have been loved. Because being unconditionally loved by Jesus actually has a transforming power on our lives, changing our lives from the inside out. And so today we're going to see another part of God's plan to keep us free, to keep us from falling back into bondage. So if you will, I'd like to ask you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of these three verses. Galatians 5, verses 16 17 and 18. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. May God bless the reading and the teaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that in your goodness and in your love, you desire for us to be free. Thank you for your word and for the warnings and the cautions and the guidance on how to remain free, and how not to become enslaved again. Holy Spirit, would you take what's here in these three verses? Would you open our eyes to the truth? Would you open our eyes to be changed, open our hearts to be changed? And would you help us to trust Christ and Him only, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Walking by the Spirit 
will keep you from falling into bondage. Walking by the Spirit will ensure that you enjoy the freedom for which Christ has set you free. So walk by the Spirit. If you'll just make sure that you do that, we will all live happily ever after. It sounds so simple, right? We'll just walk by the Spirit. Until we realize that we don't really understand what that means to walk by the Spirit. This can be a problem with pithy little expressions like this. Sometimes that come straight from the pages of Scripture, sometimes from human invention. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let go and let God. Perhaps even walk by the Spirit. We, we, we say these things, we tell them to each other as way of offering advice or encouragement. But if we were honest, very often these things don't help us that much. They don't help us to understand either what God is doing or what we're supposed to do. How in the world do you walk by the Spirit? These three verses are by no means exhaustive, but they do give us a great beginning to understand this. If we unpack them just a bit, and if we look to a whole host of other scriptures to help us tease this out a bit. I can't remember the last time I've used so many supporting scriptures in a sermon. That's why I've given you kind of a more uh, detailed outline in the worship folder than I normally do, because I want you to, to follow along and not get lost as you're trying to write references down. So if we unpack these verses, here's what I think that we will find. Uh, and this is the big idea at the top of the worship folder. Walking by the Spirit leads us into a battle that can only be won by gratifying our deepest desires. So let's start with the phrase in question itself, walk by the Spirit. So walking is something Paul likes to say a lot, like 30 times. He uses walking uh, as a means of describing living, particularly living the Christian life. It, it is a purposeful and it is a deliberate word choice. And it's something that I want to actually circle back around to at the end. Because I think talking about walking at the very end of this will help us tie up some loose ends. So uh, let's save walking, but let's dig into the Spirit right now. Walk by the Spirit. Now, uh, again, lots of references listed there. The Spirit here is the Holy Spirit. And if He's the one we're to be walking by, it would be very helpful if we thought a bit about who He is and what He's done and what He does. So even in our own letter in Galatians, uh, Paul's already mentioned Him several times. Galatians 3.3, 3, part of his angst and consternation and you just can't believe they're doing what they're doing he says are you so foolish having begun by the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh so 
The Holy Spirit is the one who got this whole thing off the ground. He got it started in the first place. He gives the new birth. We looked at that in detail uh, last year. He gives us new hearts. He breathes life into piles of dead bones. All right, Galatians 5, 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So the Holy Spirit is involved in our waiting. He's involved in the process of our becoming righteous. Galatians 4, 6. And because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So the Spirit has something to do with our adoption as children of the Father and of our experiencing God as Father. We cry out, Father, because the Spirit is enabling that. Very closely related there in Galatians 4 is Romans 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So as we look at each verse after each verse, I want you to think about adding layer upon layer upon layer to your understanding of what it means to walk by the Spirit, right? So we're walking by the one who, who started this whole thing. We're walking by the one who helps us to experience our status as adopted children of the Father. What else is he doing? Well, he's also guaranteeing that we will make it to the end, Ephesians chapter 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, At that point, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. He's going to see us through to the end. Well, what else does the Scripture tell us about who the Spirit is and what He does? Think about how Jesus introduced Him, right? Recorded in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I'm about to leave, but... Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you a helper, John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Do you think that might come in handy as we are walking by the Spirit? If the Spirit would remind us of everything that Jesus has said. Here's a big one. John 16. So John 14, 15, 16 uh, chapters just chock full of about the Holy Spirit. John 16 verses 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare, declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, Two things here, he will guide and he will glorify. And I think that we think a lot about the Spirit's guidance. Right? We're, we're familiar with that, the direction that he gives that we so desperately need. But we don't think often enough about the Spirit bringing glory to the Son. Y'all, this is big. This is a pretty easy litmus test of is this the Holy Spirit or is this something else going on, right? 
does it bring glory to Jesus? If so, then it's the Holy Spirit we're talking about. Part of the Spirit helping us, and therefore a part of our walking by the Spirit, has to do with the Spirit pointing out to us, calling our attention to how great and how glorious Jesus is. Look at what He's done, the Spirit says. Look at who He is, the Spirit says. What a beautiful Savior. He reminds us of all that Jesus has accomplished for us in the Gospel. All that is ours through the righteous life that He lived, perfectly fulfilling all the law. All that is ours through Jesus' suffering and bleeding and dying, taking our punishment. Bearing God's wrath for our sin and our rebellion. That is amazing, the Spirit reminds us. And points us to again and again and again. And being constantly reminded of those things is part of walking by the Spirit. Because y'all, only the Holy Spirit can keep us truly free. Only the Holy Spirit can keep us from slipping back into bondage either to the law or to our own flesh. Which is a decent segue into this next point. When we walk by the Spirit, we're walking into a battle. So the end of verse 16 says what happens if we walk by the Spirit. We we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And verse 17 sheds a lot more light on what's happening here. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. The battle lines have been drawn here. There are two forces They are diametrically opposed to one another. There is an intense antagonism here. There is conflict. There is war. Civil war, in fact, because these two forces are actively at work inside the life of the believer. Inside of you, inside of me, flesh and spirit do battle. And so here it's helpful to look, I think, at a couple of other uh, verses, passages, to wrap our mind around all that's going on here. Uh, So Romans 8 is a fantastic parallel chapter to all that we've been looking at here toward the end of Galatians. Uh, 8, verse 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace, right? So so echoes there of of the battle, of the war, of the conflict. Uh, Then Ephesians 4, uh, 22 uh, through 24. um, Earlier on, he's saying you were taught, and then it picks up in verse 22. You were taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. 
and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, two forces at work here. One belongs to our life before Christ. The other belongs to our life after Christ. So, before we are rescued and redeemed by Jesus, we're controlled. Uh, We live our lives according to the flesh, according to our old self, according to the old man, as some translations put it. Our, Our minds are set on the things of the flesh. Our flesh rules and controls all that we do, but when Jesus rescues us, when he redeems us, we, when we begin to trust all that he did in his life and his death for us, he seals us with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is now inside of us, we saw in some of those verses. So we've got flesh, we've got the old man, now we've got the new man, we've got a new spirit inside of us opposing forces at work in us, doing battle, the conflict rages inside each of us. And this is the battle that when we walk by the Spirit, each of us is walking headlong into. And I've got good news, and I've got bad news. And I always take the bad news first. That's just how I'm wired. Bad news. This conflict, this battle... It ain't going anywhere. Right? It will rage on and on and on till the day we die or the day that Jesus returns, whichever happens first. It's bad news. But it's news we just need to go ahead and accept and deal with. The battle, the conflict, the struggle is real. And our successes, our victories will ebb and flow. There will be times when we do set our minds and our hearts on the things of the Spirit. And there will be other times. We will stumble, we will fumble, we will fail. And being aware of this on the front end... And not being surprised or shocked by it when it happens. And not questioning our salvation when it happens. That was the big deal for Luther. Right? Luther was keenly aware of his failings. He was keenly aware of this conflict that raged inside of him. And he felt condemned by it. He said, this conflict, this battle that's going on, I still want to do all these things that I know that I shouldn't do. Sounds a lot like Romans 7, right? Luther felt that, he sensed that, and it caused him to question his salvation. He felt condemned. And I think that's part of why Paul has included verse 18 where he has. Where he says, if if you're led by the Spirit... You're not under the law. Let me remind you of that. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So think about this, how this works. If you're led by the Spirit, you're going to be led into this 
battle. You're going to be led into this conflict, into this struggle, because they're diametrically opposed to one another. Flesh and spirit, nothing in common. They're raging against one another. And Paul says, I need to remind you, you're not under the law. You're not subject to the threat or the curse or the punishment of the law. And you need to remember that as the battle rages on. So please get this. The presence of this struggle, this conflict, this battle, it raging inside of you should increase, not decrease your confidence. That there's a a battle raging inside of you should not call into question whether you belong to the Father. Y'all, that proves you belong to the Father. That's proof positive that the Spirit's inside of you. Or else there wouldn't be any battle. There wouldn't be any conflict. Do whatever. No, the, the struggle proves that the Spirit is in you. and He's alive and well. And He's doing His work. He's waging war on the flesh. So, so don't sense the struggle and feel condemned. Don't feel like you're subject to the law's punishment and, and its power. Rather, feel confirmed, feel confident that all is exactly as it should be. All right, so, so bad news, the struggle is real, it's not going anywhere. Good news comes in two parts. That's good. Twice as much good news as we have bad news. Good news is that the deck is stacked in our favor and that the final outcome is predetermined. All right, so how is the deck stacked in our favor? Um, the old man, the flesh, he might still be present, but he no longer has the power that he once did. The flesh once ruled and controlled us, but guess what? That, that flesh, that old man, he died. You remember back to Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live. The old me is dead. And dead people don't tend to have much power or control unless we let them. Right? You hear of this sometimes. Someone's long-deceased relatives still exerting some kind of haunting power from the grave, right? Oh, I could never do that. So-and-so would roll over in their grave, right? We we feel bound sometimes by expectations, (laughs) even though the person's long gone. But y'all, that's not power. It's some kind of influence, but it's it's not power, And that's what it is with our flesh, with our old self. It definitely has influence. We're still haunted by some of its memories and some of what it used to do. But it's influence. It's not power. It no longer has control over us because of the Spirit's powerful presence in our lives 
we can now do a couple of things that we were previously not able to do. We can now say no to ungodliness. Before, we were, we were bound. That's all we could do was just keep saying yes to ungodliness. But now, with the, the Spirit's powerful presence in our lives, we have a newfound ability to say no. I don't want to do that anymore. That, that's the old me. And we also have the ability, because of the Holy Spirit's power, to say yes to those desires of the Spirit. Yes to righteousness. So that's part one of good news. The deck is stacked in our favor. Here's part two of that glorious good news. The struggle, it's not going to end anytime soon, but it will end one day. There is coming a day when that struggle will be over. The battle will be done. And so, bunches of places we could go to for that hope in the Scripture. 1 John 3, 2 is one that I love. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be, glorified, non-struggling saints, <laughs> has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, speaking of Christ, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. It ain't ending soon, unless Jesus comes back later on this afternoon. Perfectly fine with that, by the way. It ain't ending soon, but it will end one day. All right. Quick little review. Let's make sure we're all together before we look at this last point. When we walk by the Spirit, we are led into battle. A battle which the only way to win is to gratify our deepest desires. Now, right off the bat, some of you might be thinking, ooh, I'm not too sure about that. We sure that's a good idea? Some, I sometimes desire some things. They're not very good, actually. All right, so hang on. Look first, did you see the prominent place desire has in these verses? Right, again and again and again. This is about what we desire, what we most want to do. Right, so if the goal is to not gratify the desires of the flesh, it's a good goal for a Christian to have to not gratify the desires of the flesh, you don't accomplish that goal in the negative, meaning. You don't accomplish that by beating those desires of the flesh to death with some blunt object. Right? You don't kill those desires through discipline and determination, through self-flagellation. No. You kill those desires by starving them to death. You kill those desires by giving all the food, as it were, to another desire, to a better desire, a deeper desire. See, the, the key here is to get to that point where we do what we most want to do. 
That's, that's the end of 17. That's the key there. To get to where we do what we most want to do. And that might sound a little too easy. A, a little pie in the sky. And I get it. I, I'm as cynical and as skeptical as they come. So even when I hear myself saying, right, the key is to gratify your deepest desires. That's a bit of a problem because I've got competing desires, buddy. <laughs> I, I want to do this thing over here because I know it's the right thing to do. But there is still a sizable portion of me that would really just like to do the thing over here. Because I think it'll give me what I want. It will satisfy. It will pleasure. It will bring security, comfort, whatever it is. So how does this work? How do I get to the point where I am doing the thing that I most want to do, where I'm satisfying, gratifying my deepest desire? How do I even know which one is the deepest desire? Think back through this. Walking by the Spirit and who the Spirit is and what He has done and continues to do. Two more uh, helpful passages. Both of which that we looked at in some greater detail uh, last year when we were talking about being born again. All right? Ezekiel 36. Um, beginning in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit, and, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. All right, so we've got a new spirit inside. It's a powerful spirit, and he's exerting some control. Jeremiah 31, verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. It, the law is a new spirit inside of us. Now the law is inside of us. And it's written on our hearts, not the four chambers that's going, but the, the, the seed of our desires and our affections and our will. That's what biblical writers are talking about when they talk about the heart. So a new spirit in us who's powerful and is exerting some control, a law that used to be on stone tablets, now is written on our heart in a powerful way. So, child of God, we've definitely got competing desires, right? We want to do this thing over here, and we also want to do this thing over here. But there comes some clarity with this new spirit that's inside of us and with the law that's written on our hearts. We've got competing desires, but y'all, there's some desires that are definitely deeper than the other desires. There's some desires that at the end of the day, we can see clearly and we can say, Oh, this is of the Spirit, and this is the old man that's trying to exert influence from the grave.
the Spirit has promised He will cause you to obey. It's ultimately not even been left up to us. Because that wouldn't have worked so well, quite frankly. It takes that powerful presence inside of us, the internalizing of the law, the promised power that's available to, to move us into that obedience. If you and I will walk by the Spirit, it's written in God's Word, we will not gratify the flesh, but we will gratify the Spirit. Now, we won't do it perfectly. We won't ever do it ultimately in this life. We'll do it falteringly, incompetently, inconsistently, but we will do it. We will make progress. Slow, painful progress at times, but progress nonetheless. And so I said I wanted to circle back around to walking. All right. What, what an apt metaphor. All right. How very basic. How simple. Paul doesn't even say here, I want you to run a marathon by the Spirit. No, just, just walk. Just walk. So if, if some of what you've seen in these many scriptures this morning helps make a little bit more sense of what walking by the Spirit is, but you still, eh, I'm not quite sure what that would look like on Monday morning in my life, Right? Well, it looks like walking. It looks like putting one foot in front of the other foot and then repeating. Of, of taking one desire at a time. Saying, hmm, where's this one coming from? Is this from the Spirit? Does this resonate with what's been written in my heart? Or am I being haunted? One desire at a time. Very practically speaking, it could be one chapter at a time in your daily Bible reading. Right? Maybe that's the, the next thing. One chapter at a time. Hmm. What's God saying here? Is God shedding his light on something that he's written here? Helping me to discern? Helping me to remember? Old guy ain't got a power anymore. Got a powerful presence inside of me. Remembering I've got this newfound ability to say yes and to say no, as the case may be. Right? So maybe that's the next practical step. One foot in front of the other, one chapter in front of the other. Right? So we're in battle. Right? You remember what God's word is referred to? Right? Ephesians 6, the sword of the Spirit. Isn't that handy? Um, revealing what the Spirit desires reminding us of all that's available to us in Christ, the power that's there, the law that's been written on our hearts. So, uh, so much more about what this means to flesh out in this letter, but here is a great start to our putting one foot in front of the other. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, that you have 
over and over again accommodated yourself to our weakness. Um, you knew that, that, that laws on stone tablets would not change us. Uh, so you put it in our hearts. Uh, and you knew that that in and of itself without the, the Spirit's powerful presence in our life causing us to obey, uh, you knew that that would be required and, and you knew that we would forget and so we need a, a Holy Spirit who reminds us again and again and again that, that we belong to you because you've adopted us because of the work of Christ. So, so Father, thank you for loving us thoroughly and completely uh, and, and accommodating yourself to the fact that we're weak uh, and we're going to stumble and falter and fail uh, and, and that just proves that, that struggle that we're engaged in, that conflict, that just proves that you're there, Holy Spirit, and that, that you're doing what you're supposed to do, and you're leading us uh, along the way. You're guiding us. You're glorifying Christ in the process. Um, so we just say thank you. We just say thank you, and, and would you keep on keeping on. We, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.